Welcome to The Alignment Show, featuring conversations with folks who have taken steps to identify their highest values and align their lives around them. Time on this earth is not unlimited, and you may be seeking to make sure you spend your time on things that matter to you. These conversations will encourage you and support you in doing so. Now, let's meet this week's guest on The Alignment Show. And a good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you happen to be in the world. Welcome once again to The Alignment Show. And I'm very pleased today to have a conversation with somebody that I've gotten to know, although we've never met in person. It's another one of those virtual kind of connections. Uh, I've been trying to remember exactly how I discovered Michael O'Brien. I think it was on Clubhouse. I was new to Clubhouse and uh, just stumbled across something about meditation and um, got to know him a little bit through that. Only later discovered that he is also a speaker. So let me tell you a little bit about Brian before we bring you on. He likes to start out by saying, breathe in, breathe out. It's time to stress less and pause, breathe, reflect with Michael O'Brien. Now, Michael is a qualified meditation teacher, executive coach, endurance athlete, and creator of the Pause, Breathe, Reflect Meditation and Relaxation app. We'll talk about that in a little bit. He loves helping people accomplish hard things through mindfulness. A survivor of a horrific near-death cycling accident, and we're going to talk about that also, he calls it his last bad day. Recently, he rode his bicycle across the entire country, United States of America. Michael was also the Healthcare Business Women's Association's first male chapter president, started his HBA journey in 2003. He has shared his personal transformational last bad day story and leadership advice with Fortune 500 companies at TEDx, with Entrepreneur, Fast Company, Real Simple Magazine, ABC and NBC. We are very fortunate to have him on with us on The Alignment Show, and I'm glad to have gotten to know him as a true fan. Let's bring on Michael O'Brien. Michael, welcome to The Alignment Show. Hey, Don. Happy Wednesday. Happy happy Wednesday. Wednesday to everyone listening. So (laughs) thanks for having me on. And I think you're right. We met via Clubhouse, which is one of those like pandemic things for a lot of people. Like, were you ever on Clubhouse during the pandemic? So, uh, but we're here now on LinkedIn and a couple other platforms, but awesome to be connected. I can't wait for our conversation. Indeed. And I'm looking to see uh, the chat here. We've got, I think this is another one of your fans on here who has commented, <laughs> love PBR, pause, breathe, reflect. So very good. Glad to have you on, Denise. So thanks, Denise. Love you, too. So uh, that's awesome. And we are going out to Facebook Live, YouTube Live, LinkedIn Live right now. Anybody joining us live, glad that you are here. Feel free to comment. And if I can remember to check the chat over there, then we can bring in those comments. But um, uh, and here's I know we know Billy. You know, Billy's another Billy. Absolutely. And, And other people should know Billy as well. So. So, well, yeah, we'll check the chat for people watching this on my platforms. I'm not sure if I will be able to see your comments, so, uh, but we'll do the best we can. We're all trying to figure this thing out, this thing called life. So, but I'll, I'll let you lead, Don. 
Where well, and, and, and this is one of the things I love about the alignment show is it is a real conversation. Even people who are seeing the replays later, we don't go back and edit them because I just love the um, the interaction. And one of the things, although, Michael, I've known you for a while, I know a little bit about your backstory. For those who might be watching, we'll get that backstory. But I, I want to dig a little bit into what led you to express your values the way that you're doing now. So we'll come back to that. Uh, let's share with the audience here. What is that last bad day? What do you mean by that? Yeah, so that was an accident that I had back in 2001, July 11, 2001. I was out in New Mexico for a company offsite, one of those Monday to Friday affairs, and I brought my bicycle out. I was training for a race. I thought I was going to be the smartest one at the meeting. I was going to breathe in the air of New Mexico, cross that state off, the states I've ridden my bike in because I have a goal of riding in all 50 states. And that morning, a Ford Explorer crossed over into my lane, was traveling about 40 miles an hour, and hit me head on. And I remember everything about that morning, almost. Like the sound of me hitting his grill and into the windshield I went. I still can hear Don the screech of his brakes. And to make a long story short, my life was in danger. They medevaced me to Albuquerque, the only trauma one center in the state. I went through the first surgery, took about 12 hours, needed about 34 units of um, blood product to save my life. I knew my life was in question. I made a bargain with whoever was listening. I said, hey, if I if I live, if I survive, I promise I'll stop chasing my happiness. We can get into that here in a bit. Then I went to the ICU for four or five days and the doctors told my wife, we're really not sure how your husband survived. Had he been 10 years older or not in shape, he certainly would have died before he got to the hospital because I lost that much blood. But, but I had a whole bunch of broken bones and glass and I was a mess. And one of my mentors at one point during my recovery said, hey, Michael, everything is neutral until you label it. And I was like, huh? He was like, everything's neutral until you label it. And I thought it was one of those Jedi mindset tricks. And I poo-pooed it at first. And then since I had nowhere to go, since I was in my hospital bed, I ruminated on that let it marinate into the system. And I realized, okay, if that's true, then I can label that day any way I want to. And so I decided to label that day as my last bad day, not because I believe in unicorns and rainbows. I do believe in rainbows. Unicorns, I'm still a little doubtful, um, but rainbows, I can totally get into rainbows. I love rainbows. I, I saw it more as a statement of gratitude that if I had my wife and my girls in my life, how could I call a whole day a bad one? And this, this fact that our days are made up of moments. We all have moments. Some are happy, some are bad, some are good, some are sad. It sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. And I, I made a determination. I wasn't going to take a bad moment and give it more fuel, more fuel than it deserved, 
where it would lead to a bad day or longer. Now, it's not literal. Like there are some days when you lose someone special in your life and you grieve and that might last longer than a day. Uh, but it more conceptually that we all have moments, we all have choice in how we wish to meet our moments. And if we practice gratitude and mindfulness, it helps ease some of that suffering so we can get on to rippling something more positive out into the world. That makes so, sense. To make a long story short, so but that's that's the whole Jedi mindset trick that I was given in my hospital bed, and it's framed how I've lived my life ever since. So looking at that moment, two questions come to mind. One is, were you aware or did you practice mindfulness before that? And the before that you were on a, uh, I guess we could say a fairly traditional corporate marketing track. Is that accurate? So that is accurate. So I'd love to get into that, but I do want to acknowledge Autumn's comment. So Avid Cyclist, have I done rag ride? So Autumn, this is the first year I'm heading to Iowa come July. So the ride across Iowa, 50th anniversary. And I was like, all right, we're going to do this thing. So, um, if you do it, I will be out in Iowa, go, go Hawkeyes and everything else about Iowa. I'm ready for a lot of corn and a lot of pie. I like, I'm going to eat my way through Iowa. So backstory, a little backstory of the backstory. So I had a pretty traditional corporate career. I, I bought into the script of, all right, you get through, you get through high school, you go to college, you get a gig. Uh, you meet someone, you marry someone, you have a family, you work your way up the corporate ladder, that's what you do. And you surround yourself with external merit badges that you put up on social media. Of course, I started all this before there was social media, but that's how you tell people, you, you peacock your way through life, letting people know how successful you are. And that's what I was doing. And I thought I was doing it pretty dang well, you know, because I had a pretty cool job. I was the head marketer for my company's flagship product. So relatively small pond, but felt I was a big fish. And then the accident happened. And in terms of mindfulness, like, forget about it. Like, I wasn't doing that stuff. Like, no serious business leader or executive was going to do something as woo-woo as mindfulness. Give me a break. That was my attitude. Even though, here's the wild thing, even though as an athlete, my whole life, I knew how essential my breath was. Because before every big shot or every important pitch, or I grew up as a bowler. So a little unknown fact, like love bowling. But before every, you know, shot down the bowling lane, you would take a, a breath in, a breath out. You see athletes doing it all the time. You see performers doing it all the time. You're a speaker. You're breathing before you get on stage. You're slowing everything down. So even though I knew the power of my breath, I thought mindfulness was wackadoo, to be honest. It was something that people who ate grape nuts would do. And I'm not going to do that. But there was a point in my recovery where I, when I knew I had to heal my mind in order to heal my body. And so the next day, 
I scooted out of my bed into my wheelchair and I got to a quiet place in the hospital and I did a box breathing pattern, breathing in for four, hold for four, exhale for four, hold for four. And I have to interrupt you and ask if you weren't into it before, where did you learn about the box pattern to apply it in that situation? Do you I, I knew that just through like reading, because again, gotcha. there was, there was no, t there was no uh, Ted.com to learn this stuff and there was no YouTube or Instagram or anything, but I knew enough about breath through my athletic experience. And then I think I read something about it from like a Navy SEAL, like, story about like how tough are those guys and box breathing is a pattern that is at least associated with the navy seal program here in the states mm -hmm. as a way to center and slow down and stay calm when the pressure's on mm -hmm. so i knew enough about that and so i did five minutes of that really just like let's let's get your head on straight michael like how do you want to approach your rehab how do you want to approach this moment because you can label it any way you want. So once you get done with the labels, you got to take some action. So how did you want to show up for all this? And to be quite honest, Don, I just wanted to get home. I was, I was so tired of being in the hospital. It was, and I was in the hospital too during 9-11. Um, and every TV in the hospital was glued to 9-11 coverage 24-7. For me as a patient there, I couldn't, I couldn't escape it. And emotionally, it was traumatizing for our country, for our planet, but in a particular way, more traumatizing because I couldn't escape the coverage. I was constantly reminded of it. And I just wanted to get home. I wanted, I wanted, to, feel, I wanted to feel normal again. I just wanted to go back to how it used to be uh, because I was going through a whole bunch mentally, like, like my whole identity was blown apart by that SUV. So I, I had some work I had to do. So I started with box breathing along the way. I came to find John Kabat-Zinn's work in full catastrophe living mindfulness-based stress reduction. That's what I studied initially and became a MBSR meditation teacher. But then I st started studying other teachers, other philosophies, loving kindness from Sharon Salzberg, body scanning. And then with the internet, as it is, I know we love to throw shade on the internet, but the internet has provided wonderful platforms for discovery. I was able to dive deeper into my study, into my practice, and, and just learn more about meditation and mindfulness. So that was sort of the journey over the 21 years since the accident and it hasn't been easy it hasn't been linear there have been moments of like great acceleration and there have been periods of time where i feel like i've regressed back to 2003 but all those moments are just moments and i get to you know again going back to my principle i get to choose how i show up for my moments and what i wish to ripple into the world Okay. Okay. That's, uh, it's, it's fascinating to see that journey. I, um, I'm wondering with what you're doing now, you know, one of the things we talk about with the alignment show is uh, the pandemic accelerated something that was already there. Um, people realizing life is short, don't want to spend their life doing something that doesn't matter to them. 
And so what's yeah. called the great resignation, I prefer to think of as the great realignment. Um, not everybody who has faced a life-threatening, life-changing epiphany then goes on to share that with the rest of the world. Now, you are already in marketing. I'm, I'm wondering, this is kind of a complicated question. I'm, I'm wondering what led you to say, I'm going to carry this idea of pause, breathe, reflect. I'm curious how you came up with, with you know, the, the brand. Uh, and I'm going to carry that out. And I'm going to take it into a corporate environment because you still speak quite a bit to, to uh, companies uh, about mental health and mindfulness and that sort of thing. So how did that come about as opposed to just saying, I'm going to keep doing what I was doing. I'm just going to do it mindfully. Yeah. So great question. And Autumn, that's an awesome way, a way to meet your husband. I met my wife through a personal ad, so not on the bike, but that's a really cool way. So I will say this. So I get asked this question a lot because in the speaking world, as you know, there's a adage, make your mess, your message. So like if something bad happens to you, um, make it your message and go out and do the speaking thing. Here's the thing with my path. I didn't do that. Like it was almost, you know, 14 years later that I became a coach and a speaker outside my corporate life. So I went through that whole question of now what do you do? All right. So you're back home, you're starting to recover more surgeries, finally getting back on the bike again. So what do you do when you almost die? And I thought, well, maybe you just sell everything and go trekking in Nepal, right? Find your spiritual higher power, higher self. And then I was like, well, screw this corporate stuff. I'm going to work for a nonprofit or I'm going to just change jobs completely or whatever. And I, what I realized is that I, I liked what I was doing. I thought I was putting something good out into the world. We were working in the Alzheimer's space, but I, I knew this, I didn't want to go back to my corporate life with the same script and the same way of doing. So I did bring a more mindful approach to my corporate life. And I feel like that was my secret sauce. And it really was a seeker because I didn't want to tell anyone I was pausing, breathing, and reflecting at work. I did not tell a soul. I was doing some of the things I was doing because still early 2000s, all this is a bunch of gobbledygook. It's like self-care was not part of our vernacular. Vulnerability wasn't part of our vernacular. Some of these things that we talk about today so commonly, so easily, we never talked about that stuff. It was everyone's replaceable. We were rising and grinding before Gary Vanderchuk made it popular to rise and grind, right? So I, like all that stuff. So I just went into my corporate life with, I played, I decided to play the game differently. And I really do feel it helped me get to the executive suite. Now, the naming of pause, breathe, or flock has some corporate ties. So most people, when they hear PBR in this country, they think of one company based in Milwaukee, uh, Paps Blue Ribbon. And so I thought I thought that acronym was clever and funny. I was like, oh, I need a PBR moment. And I was like, aha, that's really funny. But legitimately, we had a corporate KPI called PBR, profit before royalty. 
And to be honest, I just thought it was a rubbish KPI. I was like, this is, I, I can't stand this. You know, I will keep it clean for the kids. Like this is a stupid, <laughs> this is a stupid KPI. And so I was like, PBR, PBR. I was like, all right, well, this is what I'm doing. I'm pausing. I'm coming back to my breath. And then the R is a moment of reflection. Um, and so I was like, all right, so we're going to call these PBR breaks, pause, breathe, reflect. And the reflection piece is a biggie. So the, you know, and I, I don't call it stop, right? So I am a, let's, we're going to get some stuff done. So I'm just like, we're pausing. I'm not suggesting, well, what I'm suggesting is that we slow down a bit and able to help us go faster. I'm not saying stop. I'm like, pause, pump your brakes come back to your breath. And then that moment of reflection is the space where you can be very intentional about what you want to say and do next or appreciate what's working in your life or even appreciate the really muddy, icky moments that will lead to your growth. So PBR started as a sort of a passive aggressive response to profit before royalty and then I came back into my corporate life and I, you know, I was living it again, telling no one. End of 2014, beginning of 2015, I left my corporate life. The universe finally said, hey, I've sent you enough signals. It's time to do this work that you're meant to do coming out of the recovery. And I started writing about it more, but it wasn't really until the pandemic where I was really open about leading practices as a teacher, because I, I thought, and I feel pretty confident in this belief that the pandemic happened for us, not to us. <clears throat> and it was a moment for us to start practicing mindfulness in a lot of different ways. And that's just not mindful meditation. It's mindful eating, it's mindful walking, it's spending moments in silence. So I, hey, the planet was in crisis mode. And I thought mindfulness could help ease some of the stress we were feeling from the crisis and help us become healthier, live with more health, especially in this country, in the States, because mask debate aside, in all the kerfuffle that it was, I think the reason why we took it on the chin differently than a lot of other countries is that we went into the pandemic without the best health hmm. because we are not managing our stress in a healthy way. Stress, stress is going to happen. Like the waves still keep coming, but we're not managing our stress very well in this country. We are either ignoring it as they say in, finding Nemo, denial, right? That's not healthy, or we're numbing it. And mindfulness gives us an adaptive way, a healthier way of managing our stress so we can put more goodness out into the world. So, And I've got a almost a self-serving question here, Michael, because again, I know you're still doing, uh, still is probably not the right word. You are doing the speaking gig. You are a um, member of the National Speakers Association, which I didn't find out until after I'd gotten to know you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, you're going to corporate audiences. I, I'm wondering, 
this is the self-serving part, how, how the mindfulness interfaces with your speaking practice. Like, for instance, how much rehearsal do you do? How much do you leave it to the moment of delivery? Um, you know, there's a lot of technical questions here, but I'm just thinking about how mindfulness may have changed your practice as a speaker. Yeah, so to all the meeting planners out there, you might like cringe at this answer. I don't do a lot of rehearsing. What I want to do when I come into companies is to have a conversation with the people in the audience together, almost like everyone's on stage together, as opposed to coming across as the sage on the stage. Because I, mm -hmm. I don't think any of us have all the answers. We, we're all trying to figure this out. And we're, none of us are getting out alive, right? So I, I have an allergic reaction to speakers who get up on stage and they share their message with such confidence. It makes us believe that they have figured it all out. Just do this. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's an accurate way of going through life. Now, I don't want to debate right or wrong. Like that's their jam and I have my jam. But really what I'm trying to do is have a conversation together with the audience, whether that's 10 people or 10,000 people. And when I talk about mindfulness with, with some people in the audience, there's a couple different responses. A whole bunch of people are like, uh-huh, yeah, we need a different way. They're like, they're doing, you, you've been here, Don, as a speaker. Uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. Oh, yeah. They're like, yeah, like, amen to that. Like, this is like, we're messed up. Like, we got we to gotta change things. And then there's a group of people who are like, okay, but like, I don't know, because I've been doing it this way for the longest time, and it's worked really well for me. Uh, so it's it's normal. It's the way we've always done it. And I think it, so for them, it might be it takes a little bit more time to sort of come around to say, hey, what got you here isn't going to get you there. And the pandemic has changed almost everything. And we need to start playing the game differently, not play a different game, but just play this game differently. Slow down a bit. We're mm -hmm. rushing too much. Because one day, every corporate warrior I speak with will hang up her cleats from her corporate job, whether that's at 40 or 65 or somewhere in between. And now you have 35, 40 years of life in front of you. How you live right now, how you deal with your stress, how you take care of your health right now, if you're 25 or 35 or 45 or 55, that's a ripple that you you experience when you're 65 75 85 or older so i i love when people get after things and do hard things and like make make stuff happen in the corporate environment i think corporations generally you know it's part of our way of living here across the planet in most countries it's how we're doing it that I would like to see us change a bit. Again, slow down a bit in order to go faster. Slow down enough where we can be intentional. Slow down enough where we really say, I hear you, I see you, and I appreciate you. I think one of the things that's lacking 
a significant lack in most diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. And we're spending millions, if not billions of dollars on these initiatives in most companies. And I think the work is meaningful. I do the work, but what's missing is mindfulness. Mm. If you have a DE&I program at work and it doesn't include mindfulness, it's not gonna work well enough. Uh, that because, makes sense. because part of this effort to create cultures of belonging is all about awareness. And mindfulness helps us expand our awareness, sharpen our focus, and approach our moments of stress with some level of calm. So if mindfulness isn't part of your work culture, then your work culture is not going to be as strong as you might desire. That makes full, a lot of sense. Full stop. And there'll be people who disagree with me and there'll be people who agree with me. But from there, we can have a conversation about it. It's a good starting place. Uh, I, I know one of the things that you have done to kind of help plant these seeds and you can't tell because of my camera here, I'm gonna stand up just a little bit. I'm a fan of Michael's. I've got one of his t-shirts <laughs> on here, okay? And one of the things that I noticed about his t-shirts, I've got another one over here. The back, I don't know if this is everyone, but everyone that I've seen on the back, if I can get it unfolded here, there we are. There's a little thing that says, who's in your Peloton? And a lot of people may know Peloton as a brand name. That's not what you're talking about there. What? Uh, and of course, the brand I think came from this same concept. What? What is a Peloton? How does that figure in with the mindfulness aspect? Yeah. So, I should say for the the trademark attorneys at One Peloton, it's not the same thing. So, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I will add. And thanks for sharing the shirt, Don. I really appreciate that. Sure. Inside the shirt, there's a, a letter that I've written. And so in every one of our t-shirts, there's a letter uh, to you. Um, my and feeling it's cool is, it's on the inside, by the way, because you're the only one who knows it's there, the wearer. Yeah. yeah. And so my overall philosophy with the t-shirt is what's on the inside of the shirt is what matters most. So the letter is on the inside of the shirt, so that matters. But really, when you wear the shirt, you're inside the shirt. And so it's that whole concept of you can see the logo on the outside, but what's on the inside of the shirt, that letter, and then you, the wearer, those are the most important things. Um, so who is in your Peloton? So the new shirts from Pause, Breathe, Reflect, on the back and the neck there, it's uh, now says slow is fast. Uh, so, but the concept of um, your Peloton, for the cycling fans out there, Autumn is a cyclist, so she'll know this. Uh, Peloton is a group of cyclists in a bike race. So think the Tour de France. So that group of like really thin, lycra-clad cyclists going up the Alps in France, that's a Peloton. So one Peloton, the bike people, they use the term as a virtual Peloton all riding together. For me, I use it as who are you riding with in life? Who's in your Peloton? So it can be squad or, you know, community or in the mindfulness space, we use the word Sangha, right? That's like all, all the different words we use slang to denote community. 
a Peloton for me from a corporate perspective or a life perspective is who is who are the people riding with you? Who's on your personal board of directors, if you will? Who brings out the best in you? I think a good Peloton is a diverse one. They have people, you have people in your life who can help you celebrate when it's time to celebrate, comfort you when you need comfort, are there for you when you're calling 911, will help clarify things when you need clarification, when you feel stuck, and can challenge you when you need to get like a little bit outside your comfort zone. So a good Peloton professionally and personally has those roles in it and those people in it. And so for me, the whole concept of a Peloton, I think it's apt for life. Like those cyclists are riding centimeters away from each other. They're going fast. They're competing against one another. They're all riding their own race though, but they're also helping each other out. They're letting each other know like, hey, there's a road hazard up the road. There's a pothole, there's this happening. So it's a rolling community. So yeah, they're competing against each other. At the same time, they're working with each other. And I like to think that we're all in this massive Peloton that, you know, maybe there's some competition because that's what the marketplace is all about, but we can bring out the best in each other and we can go far together. Going back to that African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so that question is, yeah, who's in your Peloton? Who are you riding with? Are you riding with people who bring out the best in you? If the answer is no, then it's time to get a new Peloton. Fantastic concept here. I'm I'm going to show one of your websites here. This is one that's built around the pause, breathe, reflect movement. Just one of the ways that Michael seeks to impact the world around him. And uh, for folks who are listening to the audio only, we have shared Michael's LinkedIn. And I'm going to put a QR code up just for folks who can do that sort of thing. Let's see. Here we are. Connect with Michael. And folks listening audio only, we will have that link in the show notes because we want to enable folks to connect with Michael O'Brien. Michael, I know you have recently, fairly recently, put out an app that helps folks to manage this. And the easiest way to find the app is actually searching on the Play Store, I think, right? Yeah, or Google Play. Or necessarily the Play Store and the um, uh, the iOS Store. You can search for Pause, Breathe, Reflect, and find it, correct? Correct. And I just have to say, Don, like, this is fancy tech that you got. You got QR codes going, images flying in, and now I love this. This is awesome. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> go App Store, Google Play. You can download the app. It's really built for busy professionals who um, have told me like, hey, you know what? I don't have I don't have 10 minutes in the morning to do this whole meditation thing. And I'm like, all right, cool beans. If you don't have 10 minutes in the morning, I bet you have 10 moments throughout the day where you have a minute. So spend a minute downloading, like spend a minute connecting with your breath and do that for 10 times during the course of the day. I'm a big believer that if you take little micro moments throughout the day, that can be as beneficial or maybe even more beneficial than taking 10 minutes as a big chunk of time in the morning or at night. 
Okay, so that's something you can carry with you throughout the day. Excellent, excellent. Now, I'm glancing at the time, Michael. We try to keep these things around half an hour, and I fear I have taken a little more of your time than we intended. So let me just remind people, if you want to connect with Michael, uh, if you missed us putting the stuff up on the screen or your audio only and just have trouble, you know, it's a big, long URL, uh, check the show notes. You can always go to uh, confidencecultivators.com. That's easy to remember, confidencecultivators.com, and we will share that connection with you. Um, and, Michael, I'm going to put you in the green room here for just a second while we wrap things up. But thank you so much for being here. I'm just honored to have you on here with us today. Uh, maybe is there anything that I should have asked you that I forgot to ask that you would like to put out there as a closing statement? No, it's awesome, Don. So thanks for having me on. Thanks for creating a platform not only for me to ripple my story out to folks, but for everyone else that you bring on. And so fantastic way of spending the time. And yeah, for anyone who wants to connect with me, Don's gonna share all the different ways to connect and for us to put a massive ripple of goodness out into the world. So Don, thanks again, buddy. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Michael. We'll look forward to, uh, I think you've got a meditation going on at noon today, don't you? We have a new, like for anyone who has the app, you can join us for a loving kindness meditation at noon today, which is a foundational meditation for us. And for anyone that is servicing clients or customers, uh, reps, what have you, a loving kindness meditation can help change the game for you and how you connect with your customers and your clients. So uh, join us here in a couple hours or so. Yeah. Very good. Well, once again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I appreciate those of you on here live with us. Those of you who are watching via a replay or whatever, be sure and go ahead and comment. We interact with the comments even when they come in later. You can always catch the audio only via Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Next week, we have a guest coming on that I've known for a while, Dana Morgan Barnes, another professional speaker. Dana is fostering kindness in the workplace. So it really kind of goes along with what Michael's talking about, making a change in the way that we do business. But in any case, I appreciate you being here with us this week on The Alignment Show. I would encourage you to go to confidencecultivators.com. I think I've got it right. Yep, right there. Uh, and, and subscribe, if you will. We are going to start having some special material available for subscribers only. So you will want to be sure and join that subscription list. Until next week, be sure to focus on living your values and valuing your life. That's it for this week's episode of The Alignment Show. What has it inspired you to do in your own life? Whatever it is, take action now and take the first step. It will help you to talk with a friend about what you're thinking. Share confidencecultivators.com to spread the goodness. And remember to live your values and value your life. We will see you next week on The Alignment Show.